I'm actually a bit of an optimist on a long-term time frame. The general kind of march of progress, if you want to call it that, I really kind of believe that it's inexorable. Hey, Vicki Robin here, host of What Could Possibly Go Right, a project of the Post Carbon Institute, in which we have conversations with people I call cultural scouts, people who see far and serve the common good, all in response to our one question, what in the midst of all that is going wrong could possibly go right? And today's guest is Trey Crowder, who grew up, according to his website, in Salina, Tennessee, a town sometimes described as having more liquor stores than traffic lights, uh, too, at the last uh, count. Like most people from the deep rural South, Trey grew up with an affinity for literature, film, Blacks, and gays. In 1998, at the age of 12, after seeing Chris Rock on HBO, he decided he wanted to be a comedian. He first gained national attention or notoriety, depending on your viewpoint, for his liberal redneck series of virtual uh, viral videos. He has been performing his particular brand of Southern fried intellectual comedy in the Southeast for well over a decade, and now has toured nationally with his writing and drinking partners, Corey and Drew, who currently in pandemic times have a podcast called Weekly Skews. Uh, Trey moved to Southern California, but you can take the redneck out of the South, but you can't take the South out of the redneck or whatever. Since I only know Trey from his liberal redneck stand-up and YouTube rants, I was surprised by the direction this interview took. Uh, it was veering into a very positive view of what could go right based on his observation about how much righter things are today than they were. His grandparents and parents grew up in a very different South with very different attitudes, much greater prejudice and brutality. So he sees the direction of history moving in a direction toward more tolerance, more unity, a better, a better future. So social progress, according to him, is actually happening. And he's not stupid about the stupidities. I enjoyed this conversation immensely. So here's Trey. Hey, Trey Crowder, welcome to What Could Possibly Go Right, Conversations with Cultural Scouts, people who see far and serve the common good. Oh, uh, hey, Vicki, <laughs> thanks for having me. Yeah, glad to be well, here. It's a total fangirl moment. <laughs> I've loved your comedy since I first discovered you on YouTube. You remind me of two other super smart, acerbic, spare no ego comedians who saved my sanity over the years. Lenny Bruce and George Carlin. Well, no well. higher praise than that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> As a comedy nerd, that means a lot. So thank you. You're so welcome. Um, and I read someplace where you said in an article, you said, well, I'm a comedian and a psychological masochist. And as such, I make political comedy videos for the internet. So that's one way to introduce you. Um, <laughs> and what people who hear your liberal redneck comedy rants might not know is that you're dead serious on strategies that can dial down hate and stupidity and dial up dignity and decency, like how to end the opioid crisis or alleviate poverty. Yeah, so, um, and you feel free to just speak from either side of your 
redneck liberal mind. Yeah. And we all know the litanies of what's falling apart. It's not just COVID, the pandemic to end all pandemics until the next one hits. It's racism. It's the growing class chasm. It's our government increasingly of buying for the rich refugees. We don't want from the global South stuck at borders while products we want from the global South get stuck in the Suez. And all of this slather was so much political hatred that if I say this sweater is blue, someone would say fake news. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. anyway, all this is perfect fodder for comedy and politics. So today I am fascinated with where you will take our basic question with all that is seemingly going wrong. What could possibly go right? Yeah, I think it's an interesting question, an interesting uh, premise for a podcast, too. It's something I've thought a lot about. And actually, I think compared to a lot of people, especially in the comedy world and the political world and most of the worlds I traffic in, I'm actually a bit of an optimist on a long term time frame. Um and kind of always have been. And I, I don't know for sure, but I think that a big part of that, I think comes from actually growing up as a progressive or as open-minded in the extremely rural South. And I say that because, okay, first of all, disclaimer, nothing I'm about to say is meant to indicate that things are great or that we're not having back or we're not having problems right now, or that we haven't backslid or that everything is fine. That, That that's not what I mean by any of it. But having said that, I think growing up there, the sort of like social progress that has been made in the, in the rural South over even my lifetime. But like, especially if you talk about like, I come from, I'm I'm like the third generation to graduate from the same rural high school. And if you compare like where I grew up now with when my grandpa, my dad's dad was growing up there, the amount of progress in terms of just general social issues is like, objective and immense uh still a long way to go but you have to realize where we were starting from like things have just gotten so much better in that regard i mean you know because we're talking about it's dark and messed up obviously but we're talking about lynch mobs and jim crow and stuff like that and like my uncle is gay and lives in my hometown and takes care of my mama and you know he couldn't have he literally couldn't have done that not that long ago. It wouldn't have been safe for him there. You know, again, still a lot of progress left to be made, but I think a lot of progress has been made. And I'm a big believer in like the sort of generational aspect of progress, meaning like a lot of like the guys that I grew up with, some of them are like hardcore, super Trumpy, very red Republicans, people I went to high school with for sure. But a lot of them, especially the ones I met in college who would still tell you they're conservative or vote Republican or whatever, they don't, um, you know, they don't hate gay people (laughs) the way that, the way that, uh, their parents and grandparents kind of openly did, you know, not too long ago. Again, that bigotry still very much exists for sure, but it's just, progress has happened. It's also weird because on the other hand, economically and whatnot, things have gotten far worse for these people. Things are not looking good where I'm from for the general outlook. But I think in terms of like equal rights for people and the way people are treated and just the general kind of march of progress, if you want to call it that. And I really kind of believe that it's inexorable. If you look at it from a macro enough sense, you look at it on a long enough timeline and you, you know, a high up enough viewpoint, I think over human history, we move in essentially one direction, you know, and there are setbacks and whatnot, like we're living in right now, but I don't believe that we're going to 
just backslide back into the dark ages. I think we got to keep fighting these people right now in this moment to ensure that doesn't happen. But I'm hopeful that at the end of the day, it won't, and we'll come out the other side of it and be okay. And also on a more micro sense, I'm, you know, with the vaccines and everything and all we've just been through as a society last year, I think there's reason uh, for some optimism, you know, on that front too, just in terms of daily life and everything, you know, and uh, I'm a father, I have eight, eight and nine year old sons. And I think that, like I said, the generational aspect, I don't think that their generation of kids, I think, I think we generally were better than our parents generation in that regard. And I think they will be better than we were. And I think that's kind of just how it goes. And you have little pockets of regressivism and everything and that does happen but i don't think that it will halt the overall march of progress as we move forward and i never have believed that so that is what i latch on to and what i tell myself at night so that i can sleep <laughs> you know um and that's the the general thing it's so interesting because um <laughs> comedy at its best has a lot of bad stuff going on because you have yeah. a lot of material and so the last thing I thought you were going to say to me is that you're an optimist. Um, is that right. going to ruin your comedy? <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's another, I mean, interesting question for sure. But like people asked me a lot during the Trump administration, like, you know, what, what are you going to do when Trump isn't the president anymore? And I always used to say, because this is true, like, well, when I first went viral and kind of broke through, Trump wasn't the president then either. It was still Obama's America, you know, but those same people that uh, led to Trump and everything, they were there then, of course they were. And those were the people that passed the North Carolina transgender bathroom law, which was the thing that my video was about way back then. You know, so like I'm under no illusions that those kind of crazy regressive idiots are going to go away. And I think as long as they don't go away, there will always be things to make fun of. But the other thing is, again, like I said, I have two young sons and I, I, place a higher priority on the world not burning than on me having jokes to make you know i can start doing funny voices or something hopefully if i need to if it means if it means <laughs> that things are just generally better like trump is not the president anymore and i'm not i haven't missed him at all you know in, ter in terms of comedy and jokes to make you know what i'm saying yeah interesting, uh, prospect because you're definitely right um struggle and stress and those types of things on a societal since they uh, breed funnier stuff, I think. It's interesting too. It's like, yeah, if, if, if everything is sort of inexorably and inevitably getting better with setbacks rather than everything's getting better and better and worse and worse, faster and faster. And, you know, yeah. if, if, if it's actually true that the line of progress at the level of tolerance and openness and a willingness for humanity to be maybe somewhat dysfunctional, but a human family, you know, yeah. that's about the most hopeful <laughs> I've heard, you know, in a, in a while that we really are on a trajectory of progress with setbacks. Um, well, do you watch a lot of like, do you watch period pieces much or anything like for entertainment? Cause my wife is super into them. And so I, you know, no, I watch you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that means I'm into them too. And like, I feel like things are bad right now. Again, I'm not denying that they are, they are, but I think it makes it easy to forget sometimes like yeah. how much insanely worse things were in, in terms of social issues and people's rights 
a century ago, less than a century ago, and not just in the South either. You know, like we're watching a show right now. It takes place in 1900 New York City at a hospital, and they cover the insane racism that was rampant at that time. And again, racism then was like, you could just kill black people. If you wanted. you could just string them up, you know, like that's, that wasn't that long ago. <laughs> that wasn't that long ago that that stuff happened, you know? And then back before that slavery and killing each other with rocks and swords and stuff like that. And if you didn't believe in the right God, you could be burned at the stake. Women weren't allowed to know numbers or they were witches. They get strung up and burned, you know, like we did all that peep human beings did all that over the course of our history. And I just think if you look at all that on like a timeline into where we are now, I think that it tends to move in generally one direction. And I just am choosing to have faith in the continuation of that. Totally. Is what I'm saying. Keeping the faith. And so what do you see right now that would be evidence that despite setbacks, things are going in the right direction, you know, going in a positive direction, in a direction of, of greater kindness, love, fairness, justice, et cetera. Well, I, I don't know for sure. I, like I said, my sons are eight and nine, but I get the impression that like kids today, like uh, high school kids and whatnot, that sort of the like the ones who are rebelling are the ones who turn into like little neo Nazis and stuff, because the default position seems to be one of wokeness, you know, amongst the young people. That's like their starting point. And, you know, that was not the default position for when I was in high school. The default position was calling other people gay for no reason and punching each other when a certain color of car drove down the street or whatever, you know, we were stupid. And I just feel like, I just think they're better than us. And I think that's what, I think that happens, you know, like almost as a rule. So I look at young people right now and I think that, and you think about the internet. Yes. The internet is terrifying and the implications of it and whatnot. But, and again, this is just the optimistic perspective. You could take a pessimistic perspective on this exact same subject, but I choose to think that these kids that have sort of like grown up fully immersed in like internet culture. Cause you know, I'm in my thirties, but like the internet wasn't a thing when I was a kid. We, especially in Salina, Tennessee, cell phones and internet and all that. Again, not that long ago, because I didn't grow up with any of it. It all came around when I was in like college. I was an adult already. These kids today, they're growing up fully immersed in that culture and that world. I think that they'll be better equipped to kind of navigate the landmines of it because it's sort of just a bigger part of their life and how they look at things. They'll be smarter about it than we are. They won't be as easily subjected to fake news and propaganda and things like that on the internet. Again, you could take the exact same subject and look at it from the other perspective and be like, no, they'll be even worse because they've grown up doing it or whatever. But like I said, I just choose not to believe that. <laughs> so I think that's so powerful. I think that's so powerful. So, so give us some um, disabuse us, if you will, of um, stereotypes of regressive Southern rednecks. I'll just preface that by saying, like, we all think we're middle class, even, even though, you know, we're not, yeah, you know, right. And we all think we're sort of liberal minded in terms of prejudice. But this whole last year has shown us that, no, we are super prejudiced. You know, we really have uh, terrible thoughts about people who are not like us. Mm -hmm. um, and um, so we're prejudiced about Southerners. And so just give us like the rant about that. 
well, again, I have to get a, give a disclaimer at the beginning of this because I've done versions of this a lot. And what I, what ends up happening if I don't watch it is it starts to sound like I'm acting like none of this stuff exists or whatever. And, and that's not what I'm saying. Those people, the stereotypes, like they're real. That's, that's the way it works with a lot of stereotypes. Like they exist. It's just that we're not a monolith and we're not all like that. That's the only thing I've ever tried to get a, get across to people. Cause like when I first went viral, I get a lot of comments that were like, you're like seeing a unicorn, you know? And I, I was like, I promise you, I'm really not like, I'm really not. There are plenty more people who are like me. They just are, you look at a map and the whole, the whole region is bright, bright red. Right. But in any given state, 40 something percent of people, you know, voted blue, but the state still shows up red on a map, you know, but I'm saying across the whole region, that's millions of people who didn't vote that way. And it in large part, thanks to our black population in the South, but like that doesn't account for all of it. I'm not the only liberal white Southerner. There are other ones, but they're just like drowned out by the much louder and still the majority voices of the people that you think of when you hear my accent and those people do exist. It's just that it's not all of us. That's number one. And number two, the thing I've always thought that annoys me about that dynamic is that I think, yes, those people exist. Yes. Those are problems we have in the South, but I think that shit, sorry. I think that stuff. Allows, <laughs> okay. I think that stuff allows people from elsewhere to sort of use the South as a scapegoat and in doing so act like they don't have those problems where they live, i.e. like there's no racism in California or Minnesota or something like that, because no, the South, that's where the racism is. It's like, no, racism is an American problem. And I feel like a lot of times people want to talk about the South, like, it's the source of all the country's issues when in reality, no, those people are in every single state. There are liberals in Alabama and there are crazy regressive redneck conservatives in California, Washington, you name it. And I feel like that dynamic we're talking about kind of covers up a lot of that for a lot of people. It makes yeah. it convenient to look at the South and be like, that's where the problem is. For sure. Well, that's that's what we really... always want to do. We always want to go like yeah. scapegoat that person. They're the bad one. Get rid of them. Yeah. I mean, case in point is that, you know, where I, up where I live, we have a lot of right wing militia groups you know, and right. we have the three percenters, we have the proud boys, you know, and really making some, some making ways, making trouble, you know, sort of just, just showing their colors and um, just you know, what's your sense of it? Is that like, are these like right-wing militia groups? Are they, you know, that would be something that everybody could dump into the South too. Like, oh, let's just call that the South, you know, but it's not, it's mm -hmm. in Michigan, it's in Oregon, it's in right. Washington. How does that, how are those movements in the South now? Uh, I mean, they're definitely there, you know, for sure. Again, to me, and this isn't some grand revelation, other people have pointed this out too, but as a stand-up comedian, I've traveled around the whole country. I've been to like 47 states or something, and I've driven across many of them. And in my anecdotal experience, uh, it's really way more of a kind of urban-rural divide in a lot of ways than it is like uh, any kind of geographical sense. So yeah, we have all those people you're thinking of in the South for sure. But again, they exist in all the other states too. I definitely don't think that it's a uh, Southern phenomenon. And going back to the internet, I think the internet makes it easier for those people to band together and find each other. And when it comes to like the white supremacist extremists, like the really hardcore ones, 
I'm, I have an optimistic take on that too. I'm not saying I'm right. Again, I just try to be hopeful about things. What I tell myself about those people and what we're seeing with them now is that this is them kind of like lashing out in desperation at what they recognize as the sort of dying off of, of their way of life. Meaning like for a very long time, that, that was just like the status quo and was unquestioned the supremacy of the straight white man, you know, so they didn't need to, they didn't need to, to band together and, you know, uh, show up and burn stuff down or whatever, but they see the march of progress we we're talking about earlier and they see the way young people are. And I think it scares them and they realize that that sort of thinking is threatened because it is, you know, when they say, Oh, it's threatened. It's like, yeah, it, it is. And it should be, if we're talking about white supremacy, it should be an endangered species among mm-hmm. philosophies, but they realize that. And so it's, I, I think it's like them acting in desperation when they're being a lot more emboldened and lashing out. Now it's them like coming together and being like, desperately trying to stop it it's scary they've already messed a lot of stuff up lives have been lost and more will be i'm not minimizing it but i just don't i think that's what is ultimately going on and i don't think that they'll win i don't think there's enough of them i don't care how loud they are i think ultimately they will lose so again that's what i tell myself that's great. So we're going to, we're, we're just about to wind up, but I would like some, I'd like some advice, you know, from, <laughs> I'm a, <laughs> I right. was raised in New York, a New York Jew, you know, very liberal, um, you know, so I would like advice from, from your perch for liberals about what do we say that's, that works and really doesn't work. What do we say that inflames people and makes the things that we care about harder to achieve? Just let's give us some language coaching. Um, I don't know. It's a really hard question because it depends on what it is you're trying to do. What I've been saying recently when it comes to like politicians, like when it could, the idea of people running as Democrats in the South and how to reach certain groups or whatever, what I've been saying recently is like, you know, you don't have to go in, uh, take your guns blazing, you know, meaning like going talking about gun control and abortion and things like that. You can instead choose to talk about like uh, healthcare, making sure their mama can afford their medication or that their son is cured of his addiction to pills instead of just kept in prison to rot for another 15 years, whatever, things like that, which are progressive policies that are near and dear to these people's hearts instead of getting mired down in the kind of like big wedge issues that we are always going to be divided on no matter what I think. I think that's the approach if you're like a political strategist or or a politician right now. Um, But again, first of all, I'm pulling this. I'm pulling all this out of my butt. I don't I'm not I don't have a poli side. I know. know. I just ask you for some education. (laughs) Yes. But that's how I think that they should approach it. Regular people on just in your day to day life. This is super, super simple. But I've always the thing that I've always done just like comes down to empathy, meaning like actually think about the person that's on the opposite side of you and like what their perspective is and try to imagine that you had experienced whatever it is they're experiencing. And sometimes you do that and you're going to be like, yeah, and I still wouldn't be racist, man. You know, like, of course that's what happens. (laughs) And when that happens, as far the approach I've always taken is like, you don't have to try and reach those. I never have like, you know, I've never tried to reach, from the very beginning, I've been okay with offending like racist that I grew up with. I've, the jokes I've had is like, if you get offended by that, you're a racist. And I don't care if that bothers you. Right. But when it comes to just 
conservative working class rural people that are from a different world or whatnot. And they're all fired up, uh, you know, about whatever, just actually before you take a hard line stance on it, just think about the perspective that you're coming to it from. And if after that you still feel as strongly, then I think that's completely fair, you know, but I think what a lot of people tend to do on both sides is they come into it and automatically place the other person on the extreme end of the like political spectrum without knowing that, like you just meet a person, you know, they're conservative and you place them at the extreme end. Like, are you probably a racist bigot Bible thumper or whatever, but you don't know that that's true. Right. And thing with us too they made a liberal and place us at the extreme god hating baby killing end of the spectrum gun taking into the spectrum and everybody does that and i think if less of that happened because the reality is most people are somewhere in between those two poles actually if people thought about that more i think it, we would be a little less polarized and divided but what do i know <laughs> preach it <laughs> thank you so much trey for taking yeah. the time with us this has really been um surprisingly positive and wonderful <laughs> yeah yeah well again it's just how i sleep at night but yeah thank you for having me i appreciate it hey thanks for listening don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five-star review so that this hopeful message can get out to more people Check out Post Carbon Institute's Resilience website for show notes and for more guest information. Join us on Patreon and become a financial supporter of the show and for exclusive content and special online events. Thanks also to Asher Miller, Amy Burringrood, and Clara Winter of Post Carbon Institute, plus production assistant Michelle Wig from frugalityandfreedom.com. <laughs>